Emerging Markets Equities Podcast by Aberdeen. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Aberdeen Emerging Markets Equity Podcast. I'm Nick Robinson from the EM Equity Team. In this podcast series, we explore the factors that underpin our thinking on emerging markets. From key individuals to evolving trends, we seek to answer the five W's, the who, what, where, when, and why that are shaping investment opportunities in the region. In today's episode, we're going to talk about the role that EM currencies play in driving total returns for investors. On the equities team, as bottom-up investors in emerging markets, which means that we focus on companies themselves, we tend to spend more time thinking about currencies as a source of risk within companies and how to manage that risk. Often in emerging markets, companies will take out debt in US dollars in order to keep their interest costs low and they'll have local currency revenues and that creates the mismatch. Time and time again in a currency devaluation, companies are caught out by this sometimes even to the extent it bankrupts them. So it's a big risk to understand and manage within companies. However, it's also important to consider currency exposures from a more top-down perspective. If you have a large country exposure, then you're exposed to that country's currency, and that's going to have an impact on return. So it's another risk angle to consider. So joining me today to discuss this is an expert on emerging market currencies, Kieran Curtis. Kieran has been with the firm for just over 10 years. He's the head of emerging market local currency debt, so he's uniquely well-placed to talk about this. Kieran, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on. Thanks for having me, Nick. Great. Well, let's get going. Um, It's hard to have a discussion on emerging market currencies without first talking a bit about what they're measured against, the dollar. So perhaps let's begin there before we dive into emerging markets and get your views on the dollar. Um, And given where we are in the rate cycle, the likelihood really of the dollar and its propensity to strengthen going forward or perhaps weaken. Uh, Yeah, so uh, I think the short story is it's been going up for a decade uh, and it's now pretty expensive. Um, So if you look at things like uh, US wages for comparable industries and you compare to to Europe, which obviously has a most similar structure of the economy uh, to the US, um, then those wages look look, uh, pretty high. Um, And, uh, you know, I've got recent personal experience of traveling uh, to the US and I can testify to to just how uh, expensive it's become. Uh, both for goods and services to to be traveling there from uh, from Europe. Um, so, and I, I think the other thing about the dollar is, you know, obviously capital flows are, are really what sets the price. And uh, U.S. investors, uh, they have been uh, bringing money back home um, as far as their investments go for uh, a good chunk of the last ten years. Um, so, if you look through the the tick data. Uh, that the um, the U.S. authorities release regularly about what's going on with capital flows, then you see that uh, U.S. investors have been selling overseas securities um, and they've been buying U.S. securities. So uh, you know they've been tempted, just like uh, many other investors have, by the higher uh, rates of return that have been offered um, over the last decade or so in uh, in U.S. securities both in fixed income, which is probably a more recent thing um, over the last five years or so, but, but certainly in equities where the, the US stock market has been a, 
uh, a super strong performer um, since the uh, global financial crisis. So uh, I think, you know, personally, I think there's an open question about how long this will this will continue. Um, and I think there are some signs that that asset allocation is is beginning to slow, starting to hear uh, stories about, um, you know, uh, American investors move uh, for uh, European real estate, for instance. And, uh, you know, certainly we're seeing, you know, I've, I've seen evidence in trips to Europe of just how many uh, Americans there are there are around in major European cities at the moment. So, uh, you know, there's some signals from the real economy, I think, as well as crunching data that shows that the dollar is is pretty expensive at the moment. So if the, uh, you know, if the US rate cycle turns before uh, the rest of the world, then, uh, and especially before Europe, then there's a good chance that, that the dollar uh, continues this relatively more recent trend uh, of, of weakening. And certainly the, you know, the peak in the dollar that we saw in uh, around uh, October, November last year timed very nicely with the, the market pricing in the peak in the relative rate cycle. Because, um, of course, uh, European interest rate expectations have gone probably up a bit more than the US since, uh, since around October, November last year. Yeah, and how do you think about the of some of the other influences on on the dollar, be it more kind of related to politics and and macro? In that we've just had a pretty significant banking crisis in the U.S. with the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and the Fed stepping in to to support the the whole banking sector, uh, and then coming up we've got this debt ceiling negotiation. Uh, I think around around June, which could have an impact on on risk aversion. How do you see the U.S. performing through those particular events? Yeah, I think that um, this is actually a really tough call uh, because historical experience tells you uh, that the dollar tends to go up, with it being a you know a, a safe haven currency, and you know in particular a currency that that people tend to borrow. So, you know, during periods of volatility um, and when these unexpected risks pop up, then uh, people will repay debt. And so maybe they need to buy dollars to do that. And uh, certainly, you know, with, uh, say, rest of the world political events, uh, then often you'll find people will build up, uh, build up dollar balances rather than their domestic currency balances um, to offset political risk. So I think, we, you know, we have to respect that uh, historic experience. But I, I also think uh, it's worth looking for reasons why things you know, might not pan out like this with this immediate juncture. You know, the, the dollar doesn't always go up in periods of risk aversion. I mean, a, a good chunk of the lead up to the global financial crisis when the credit crunch was going on, then uh, we actually saw a very weak dollar um, until the, the summer of 2008. Um, you know, last most fixed income investors would tell you that that credit crisis began in in the summer of 2007. So we do sometimes get the dollar falling, and you know why would uh, why would the the dollar fall? So one one is just that perhaps we're at the peak of the rate cycle. Um, you know, another is that uh, U.S. investors, after all of this uh, selling of overseas securities and buying of U.S. securities that's that's happened over the last 10 years, then. U.S. investors have relatively low exposure to, to non-U.S. assets, and uh, you know that means that they don't necessarily need to liquidate those foreign assets 
in order to reduce risk. And then another important one is that um, since the global financial crisis, the Fed has begun a process of extending uh, swap lines uh, with uh, major central banks outside of the US. Um, and that means that uh, central banks have access to US dollar liquidity that they can pass on to their domestic institutions where there are funding crunches. And this was something that was last used uh, kind of in anger during uh, the COVID crisis um, and was was very effective in, in reducing the squeeze on US dollar, major US dollar borrowers outside of the US. Um, and I, I think that does reduce the upward pressure on the dollar during uh, some of these uh, typical risk events. So, yeah, I think, uh, you know, I'm probably not the best person to say, um, you know, just how high the risks of the, the banking crisis are and exactly what's happening with US politics and the, and the debt ceiling. Um, but certainly, you know, certainly I'm happy to say that uh, at the current point in the rate cycle uh, with some of these changes with the, the, the Fed swap lines and how US dollar, uh, US domestic investors are positioned at the moment that perhaps the the upward pressure on the dollar you might see from these risk events will be lower um, than uh, we've seen uh, during some of the last uh, 10 to 20 years. Okay, thanks. Um, And if we, I suppose, switch our focus now to where more of your expertise lies in terms of emerging market currencies. Yeah, I think we've seen quite a divergence in how some EM currencies have performed over the last couple of years, you know, some of which uncoupling a bit from the other weakness that we've seen elsewhere. Perhaps we could just talk a little bit about those emerging market currencies that have been a bit stronger uh, and what's likely to drive them going forward. Yeah, so uh, in, in certainly in the last 12 to, to 18 months, the real outperformance have been Latin American currencies. And uh, I think there there have been two drivers for that. So one uh, has simply been commodity prices that obviously have been pretty strong since COVID and then became especially strong after Russia invaded Ukraine. And the other has been that interest rates went up a lot in Latin America. And I think most emerging market bond investors um, were pretty early to see this. And pretty early to tell clients that you know interest rates going up very early and much earlier than they did in developed markets and much further than they did in in developed markets was going to be a positive for for Latin American currencies, um, and that has proven to be the case. So uh, yeah, we we've we've seen uh, those be the two uh, kind of key pillars of of support. Looking a little bit further back uh, post. You know, immediately post-COVID, we had pretty strong performance from from Asian currencies, um, and that was much more driven by manufacturing exports um, during that global goods consumption boom uh, that we had. And as that effect has begun to fade, then uh, we've seen a slightly uh, weaker performance from a lot of Asian currencies compared to. Uh, to other emerging market peers. Um, And of course, Asia also suffered much less inflationary pressure. And so interest rates haven't gone up as much. And and that means that currency is perhaps not quite so interesting to investors because the yield gaps got so big, both with the dollar and even more so with other emerging currencies. So in the last 12 months or so, the the performance of Asian currencies has faded a little bit. And, you know, LATAM is really where the the shine is. 
Great. And um, I guess one other issue that we're certainly hearing a lot more from companies in Asia um, is the return of tourism and, and travel. And certainly, you know, Asia feels like it's been a lot behind Europe and the US in returning to travel post the end of, of COVID. So, yeah, how has that been impacting some of the currencies there? Yeah, so the, the Thai baht has been the, the bellwether for the Asian tourism trade because tourism is such a, a large part of, uh, of the Thai economy. And, uh, you know, for a long time, Thailand ran a current account surplus um, with uh, that tourist income being a major uh, component of that. And then Thailand was actually running a, a current account deficit post-COVID, post partly because of the, the lack of, uh, of tourism inflows. Um, so the reopening of Thailand, and more importantly, the reopening of China, outbound tourism has uh, has really helped the Thai Bart this year. Um, although, uh, you know, it must be said the, the enthusiasm of investors has faded a little bit. Thailand has very low interest rates and, uh, you know, that that probably accounts for why that enthusiasm has faded a bit. I think it's, it's worth uh, mentioning some of the rest of the world as well because, uh, you know, they, they are small countries but we've seen quite a bit of uh, strength in in Caribbean currencies, those ones that are not pegged to the dollar. Uh, so places like Dominican Republic and Jamaica, um, you know, we've seen uh, some quite notable strength from from those currencies in uh, in the post-COVID uh, environment. And and because they they didn't have the the restrictions on incoming uh, tourism for very long, then the trend uh, started much earlier. And the last thing on tourism that's quite important has been in Eurasia, countries that have been exposed to or you know been able to to gather tourists from Russia. Um, obviously, lots of potential destinations for Russian tourists have, in various ways, been blocked off, and so countries like Georgia have, and even Turkey actually also benefited quite a bit last year. Um, from inflows of, uh, of of Russian tourist money, so it, it has definitely in the post-COVID era the the ability to take tourists in has been a, you know a big boom for uh, for certain countries. Thanks, and you, and you mentioned Brazil earlier, and perhaps it'd be interesting to dwell on that for a minute in terms of you know Brazil probably stands out at the moment uh, as a country where real rates are still very high yet inflation is falling very quickly and we've also got some quite complicated politics going on at the moment with the return of Lula do you think you know in the against the backdrop of a dollar that's has a propensity to perhaps weaken from here you know Brazil could still hold up given the the rate at which rates are falling or potentially likely to fall yeah, so we still really like the Brazilian real, um, and the real rate story is uh, is, you know, frankly, the the biggest support for the currency. And you know, more recently, that real rate story has been driven by falling inflation rather than uh, bigger increases in interest rates. The interest rate cycle is now more or less over. And even when uh, interest rates begin to fall, then it's very possible we see fixed income inflows. Uh, you know, foreign investors looking for capital gains on bonds uh, continue to support uh, the the capital account and continue to support the the valuation of the real. So falling interest rates because they're at such a high level uh, and because inflation has fallen 
so far, then it's not necessarily going to be a bad thing in, in the short term for the currency. Um, I think the you know what we see in terms of impact of politics on Brazilian currency uh, and interest rates it tends to be more short term um, than in some other emerging markets. Um, the Brazilian domestic investor base is very uh, hedge fund like, and so so they they move pretty quickly. Um, positions go a long way, and then they get. Um, squared up and I think the bigger story with politics frankly is uh, is is the independence of the central bank you know the any fiscal concerns just mean the central bank is more likely to keep interest rates higher for longer and uh, you know that will increase the rate of return on investments in um, in Brazilian real um, just by monetizing those higher interest rates. Um, so I think ultimately that that's what the, the driver is uh, is going to be. And there has been some discussion about removing the, the operational uh, independence of, of the Brazilian central bank. But it looks very much to us like this is um, you know, grandstanding by uh, Lula uh, in order to retain the option to blame any economic weakness on, on the central bank um, rather than because there's actually a, a, a desire to, to change what's been a, a pretty successful uh, kind of structural policy in Brazil to have uh, the central bank operationally independent. Yeah, hopefully they're looking at the example of Erdogan and Turkey in terms of what happens when central bank independence gets thrown out the window. Yeah, Turkey, um, you know, obviously, uh, well, uh, you know, Turkey, I think is is the you know, one of those stories which reminds us that purchasing power parity is very important in emerging markets because uh, the price level can diverge a, a long way over time. And uh, so, you know, Turkish uh, monetary policy has been uh, very stimulative in, of inflation, very low interest rates and lots of micromanagement. And, uh, you know, that inflation accumulates over time. And so it means that we, we will end up with continued uh, devaluation episodes or, you know, fairly rapid trend uh, depreciation of, of the Turkish lira against its trading partners. Um, so, uh, you know, despite the you know, potentially, you know, arguably very cheap levels for the lira, then the price level increases so quickly, it's, it's basically very difficult to gain um, any profit from medium to certainly long-term allocations in, in the lira, um, unless interest rates were to go much, much higher. Um, perhaps if we go to the other end of the spectrum and talk about those currencies which are completely coupled still to the dollar, so those currencies which are, which are pegged, like Hong Kong and, and the Middle East, do you have any, any thoughts on the likelihood that those pegs are going to continue? Um, so for those, uh, I mean, certainly for those uh, countries that you mentioned, there's a lot of financial capacity to support those uh, those pegs. You know, in the Middle East, we've got high energy prices at the moment. Uh, you know, very high current account balance of payment surpluses, and uh, you know, in China collectively, then there's also you know clearly really strong uh, balance of payments, very very strong exports, etc. Trade trade surpluses. And also enormous reserve positions in in all of these countries uh, as a share of GDP. So there's there's really no need for them to remove what's been a very successful policy of of pegging to the dollar. So uh, so we wouldn't expect it to happen. 
where we have seen pegs come under pressure is, and pegs and quasi-pegs, um, it's been in frontier markets uh, where the financial capacity to support them uh, is much more limited. Um, and, you know, perhaps inflation domestically has been been higher than in the US. Uh, and so, you know, there is uh, some requirement for uh, uh, basically a, a competitive devaluation. So, uh, yeah, we, we don't see that trend ending in the very near term. We still think uh, frontier uh, market pegs can come under quite a bit of pressure. But, uh, yeah, for the, you know, the major... Uh, very wealthy uh, countries in emerging markets that are running US dollar peg policies. There seems very, very little reason to change that. Great. Well, that feels like a good place to draw the podcast to a close. Um, So thank you, Kieran, very much for joining. It's been a real pleasure having you on. Thanks, Nick. Always good good to chat and happy to do it anytime. Thanks. And thanks to everyone who took the time today to listen in. If you enjoyed today, then please download our other podcasts from our website or wherever you normally get your podcasts. Watch out for our next episode and tune in. Thank you for listening to the Emerging Markets Equities Podcast brought to you by Aberdeen. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and for more great content, visit Aberdeen.com. This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is provided for informational purposes only and should not be considered as an offer, investment recommendation or solicitation to deal in any of the investments or products mentioned herein and does not constitute investment research. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of Aberdeen. The companies discussed in this podcast have been selected for illustrative purposes only or to demonstrate our investment management style and not as an investment recommendation or indication of their future performance. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up and investors may get back less than the amount invested. Past performance is not a guide to future returns, return projections or estimates and provide no guarantee of future results.